This is Vanderbilt Business. We talked this week with Clint Freeland, the Chief Financial Officer of Dynagy Inc., a Houston-based electric company that owns and operates a number of power stations across the U.S. The MBA 92 alum talks about opportunities and challenges in today's energy industry, his path to the C-suite, and overlooks skills that finance-focused professionals should develop. Hi, everyone. This is Nate Luce. I'm here with Clint Freeland from Dynagy. He's the Chief Financial Officer there. Clint, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. Can you tell us why you're here today at Vanderbilt? Sure. Well, I uh, received an invitation from uh, from the Owen School and uh, to come and participate in a fireside chat uh, and sit with a handful of students and really kind of talk about some of the experiences that I've had since I left Owen. Fantastic. So yeah, let's get started. Can you start by telling us about the path that your career has taken? Sure. I graduated from Owen in 1992, and uh, at that point, I went into uh, moved back to Texas and went into banking. And I was in banking for about six years, and during that time, really gravitated toward the energy space. And in Houston, it's kind of hard not to, but but really enjoyed that. And so I decided after after six years in banking that I wanted to be on the other side of the table, and actually work for an energy company. And I've worked for a number of companies uh, since that time. I started at uh, Coral Energy, which was uh, Shell uh, subsidiary. Did that for a little while, then uh, when my boss left there to go to Enron, he took me with him, and I was at Enron for about five and a half years. About half of that before bankruptcy, half of it after bankruptcy. And then once that was winding down, I had an opportunity to go to NRG. Uh, NRG was, um, had just gone through its own restructuring, was maybe eight months out of, out of its restructuring and was starting fresh again. And so I joined that team when it was relatively small and held a number of positions there. I was there for seven years and uh, was a finance director, treasurer, CFO, and then strategy. And then um, about six and a half years ago, 2011, I uh, had an opportunity to move to Dynagy and uh, and be part of a, a new management team. All of us had worked together before, knew each other, and Dynagy was in a tough situation. And so it was, it was really nice to, to go into that situation with a group of people that you knew and uh, had a history with and been at Dynagy ever since. Can you talk a little more about what that situation was that you were trying to <laughs> extract Dynagy sure, from? Sure, sure. So uh, for those of you that, that, that may not be familiar with, uh, with Dynagy's history, uh, Dynagy a number of years ago was, was very much like Enron. Matter of fact, they were direct competitors. Uh, and it was kind of the mini-me of Enron. And when Enron collapsed, Dynagy came very close to collapsing itself. But they were able to, to, to stave off a bankruptcy filing uh, back then. But they spent the next 10 years shrinking the company, selling off different divisions, uh, shutting businesses down. Worked its way back to being just a, a straight owner of, of power plants and um, had also you know, paid down a lot of its debt. But the company really came into financial distress in 2009, 2010 when natural gas prices came down very significantly, power prices tend to follow natural gas prices. And so natural gas prices fell from about eight or ten dollars down to two or three dollars. Power prices followed and the company was in distress. And and at the time, uh, the previous management team and board uh, had reached agreements with two separate parties to sell the company to each of those parties, uh, you know, separately in two deals. And the shareholders voted both of those down. Uh, and as a result, the um, the previous board resigned uh, in mass. The uh, previous management team also resigned, uh, CEO, CFO, chief operating officer, general counsel, so forth. And so it was, a, it was a company that was in financial distress, but also from a corporate governance standpoint, really had nobody running running the ship. 
And so the shareholders reconstituted the board and then they needed a management team. And there was a group of us who, again, had worked together in, in prior lives that we all got together and were, were asked to join Dynagy as a new management team. And so, so we joined the company in, in the summer of 2011. And it was a, a, an interesting period of time because we, we knew that, so I joined in July of 2011, and we knew that by that November, we had until then to restructure the company. It had way too much debt. Its cost structure was unsustainable. And we knew we had about four months to restructure the company outside of a, a bankruptcy filing. And uh, we were not successful in doing that, so we filed the company in, in, 11, in the following 11 months, cleaned up the, the balance sheet, and, um, and then emerged from, from, from bankruptcy. And then since then, we've grown the company back. We've tripled the size of the company at this point significantly improve the company's profitability. And so I feel really good about that. The last six years has been, has been a real journey, taking a company that was all but left for dead, uh, certainly on its back and in distress, and taking that and cleaning it up, fixing it, and growing it back uh, to, um, to a position of strength. That's fascinating. So what drew you to the energy space initially? You know, um, it really was my experience in, in banking. And really, I'm, I'm originally from South Louisiana, so I had been around uh, energy for a long time. Uh, when I went into banking, I was able to do rotations through a number of different groups and see a lot of different industries, see a lot of different businesses and business models and so forth. And I just found energy to be fascinating because I think it is, uh, it, it is something that most people don't fully understand how it actually works, where energy comes from, and it's very intricate, it is uh, very volatile, and the scale associated with some of the energy investments is just hard to believe sometimes. So as an example, Dynagy uh, owns power plants, and there are power plants out there, we own some of them, that can power a million homes around the clock for 50 years. You know, that, that's the kind of scale that you're, that you're dealing with. Uh, same thing in the oil and gas industry and refining and, and pipelines and so forth. It's just the scale of the energy infrastructure that keeps the, the economy going that to me is just fascinating. And it's all interconnected. One part of the energy in, industry affects another. So as an example, fracking and what you've seen, the impact that that's had on natural gas prices, that impact is as dramatic on natural gas prices as it is on power prices. Power prices follow natural gas. So that's had a dramatic effect on our business as a power generator, despite the fact that we don't own any natural gas. And so one thing can affect the other at scale. And again, as a, as a finance person, you know, when you think about these industries, you know, energy tends to be a, a cyclical capital-intensive industry. And um, you know, being a finance person, you know, marrying risk management uh, and managing the, the cycles and the volatility with the capital intensity of the business and how do you manage raising capital, deploying capital, making investments, and, and marrying those two things together. How do you finance a 50-year project while dealing with the volatility that's inherent in the, in the industry, to me, is, is very challenging, and, and that makes it intellectually stimulating and interesting. So speaking of challenges, what do you think some of the most pressing challenges are in the energy industry over the next, say, five years? And on the flip side, what do you think the biggest opportunities are? 
you know, I think, um, and I'll maybe really target my comments to uh, to the power industry uh, because that's where where Dynagy's focused. And in all honesty, I, I think maybe the the threat and the opportunity may be the one and the same, and it just depends on where you sit. Um, and I would point specifically to renewables and new technologies like battery technologies and so forth. If you are an owner of of um, you know older, more traditional uh, baseload units like uh, coal, to some extent nuclear, you know renewables in certain areas of the country can crush your economics. And specifically in the middle of the country where wind is so predominant, a lot of that power flows east on the on the transmission. So what we're seeing, you know, we have coal plants in Illinois and Ohio and, and so forth, and a lot of the wind is moving across that region, and it is a real challenge for some of those more legacy plants. You're also seeing the same thing in Texas. You know, maybe a little known fact is that Texas has more wind generation than any state in the United States. And what you're seeing is that that is a disruptive force in the Texas power markets. And so on the one hand, that, uh, that can be a real risk to the owners of certain type of generation. Uh, on the other hand, there's a real opportunity if, if, if you are a you know, renewable investor or a renewable owner. Those, the, the technology continues to improve, the economics continue to improve, and so that may be a, a longer-term opportunity. One of the other risks that we've seen you know, quite a bit of is political risk, frankly, on a state-by-state basis, where as some of these dynamics are happening in our industry and as certain types of plants, specifically nuclear and coal units, are more and more challenged, particularly in the eastern half of the United States, what you're seeing is the utilities that own these companies are going to some of the state-level politicians and getting subsidies for their plants because the power plants tend to pay a lot in uh, property taxes, tend to, tend to employ a lot of people, and more local politicians don't want those, uh, want those plants to go away. And so they're being subsidized, which, you know, frankly distorts the market price. If you, if you don't let the losers lose and go away, then the supply-demand imbalance never fixes itself. And so it has a suppressing price effect for the rest of the market. And if that doesn't get fixed, then that puts, again, existing generators in those markets at risk. And you're seeing this in, in Illinois, you're seeing it in New York, you're seeing it in Massachusetts, you're seeing it in Connecticut. Ohio's talking about it, Pennsylvania's talking about it. It's, it is, New Jersey's also talking about it. This is, a, this is not an isolated incident, but it is certainly kind of if you map out Chicago to Boston, that region of the country uh, is a risk to existing generators. Very interesting. So sort of switching gears here a little bit towards your own education, what aspects of your time here have you called on the most over the course of your career? You know, that's a really, that's a really interesting question. You know, certainly I would say, uh, you know, I've called on a lot of that education, but, but really when I, when I stop and, and think about it, one of the things that I got out of my own education was that I got exposed to a variety of different disciplines. When I, when I came to Owen, I came right out of undergrad, out of political science and and so having exposure not only to finance and accounting, but exposure to operations management, to uh, IT uh, infrastructure, you know, um, organizational behavior, and other types of disciplines, you know, to me really 
not only rounded out my education, but it broadened my understanding of what it takes to be successful in business. I wasn't allowed to just focus on the analytical nature of finance. And frankly, in order to be successful in the area of finance, in most areas of finance, at least where I've been, uh, you really need to understand the broader context of the business, of the industry, of risk and risk management, and how finance plays into all of those things, and actually how those things can dictate how you finance certain things. And so really having a, a nice complement of of other disciplines in your education along with finance really allows you to have the nice balance uh, that you really need, in my opinion, to be successful. What classes and, and clubs or anything else do you think financial uh, and accounting concentrators should partake in while they're here? Yeah, you know, I, I um, you know, when I think about some of the areas where I see folks that I work with over the years, particularly financial folks, uh, one of the things that I've noticed is a lack of understanding or interest in other elements of the business, sometimes in the business itself. So I'd say things like operations management, very important to understand the bigger picture of what's happening inside your company. Every company is an economic organism that behaves in different ways. And in order to understand how to finance it, how to value it, how to leverage it, you have to understand how the company itself economically behaves. That's the step that a lot of finance people miss. They're, they're focused on numbers, they're focused on capital structure, they're focused on valuation methodologies, and they actually miss the true understanding of the economic behavior underpinning the company. And some of, again, those broader, uh, the classes that deal with some of the broader topics around a company, I think are very important for, for finance majors to uh, participate in. The other thing is that what, one of the things that I've also found, particularly in my current role as a CFO, is that a lot of finance and accounting uh, focused uh, folks do not develop their communication skills to the extent that they need to. So when I think about my current role, certainly I'm a chief financial officer, so finance is what I do. But I spend at least half of my time communicating in one form or another spoken, written, slide presentations to investors. As an example, I write uh, my script for earnings calls. I write press releases. Um, I write um, you know, emails to the board of directors uh, making certain points. And what I find is, is that a lot of finance-oriented people are not effective communicators. They are data providers. They are analytically-minded people. But when it comes to communication skills, written, verbal, presentations themselves, public speaking, things like that, they, they haven't spent enough time developing those skills. And so, again, to the extent that, you know, that folks have an opportunity to, to do that at Owen, I, I would highly, highly recommend them to take advantage of that. Well, we certainly have those opportunities there through our Communications Academy and other areas. How do you think Owen set you up for success? Was there anyone or anything during your time here that kind of helped guide you or push you in the direction that you ended up taking? Absolutely. And, you know, um, with my undergraduate degree in political science, I guess I'd had two accounting courses uh, before coming to Owen, and that was about it. I never had a finance course. I never had a statistics course. I never had uh, a marketing course uh, or anything else like that. And I'll never forget my very first day 
of my first finance class, uh, the concept of discounting was introduced. And the idea that a dollar today is worth more than a dollar a year from now seems so basic. But to me, that was one of the most fascinating concepts that had never crossed my mind. And from that point on, I was hooked. Uh, finance and, and corporate finance uh, at Owen was, I can, I can um, very comfortably say, was the first time that I looked forward to studying, that I enjoyed what I was studying, I was curious about what I was studying, and I was energized. Um, and I, I got that here at Owen. And, um, you know, the professors were were incredibly supportive. My fellow students were incredibly supportive. And so I would say that without a doubt, uh, the experience that I had at Owen is what set me on a finance path and, and really lit the fire under my interest in, uh, in corporate finance. And I, I can even remember my, my parents being surprised by that because I never actually had any coursework or expressed any interest in it. But, um, but it, it absolutely was instrumental in taking me in the direction that I went in. And then, you know, one other element that I think was incredibly important to, to me and my development in finding my place in the finance world was some of the placement advice that I got at Owen. Coming out of, uh, directly out of undergrad into Owen, you know, I didn't have any work experience. And so when I started thinking about, well, what am I going to do after I get out of Owen? What area of finance would be most interesting? Where should I target? The placement organization was very helpful in lining up informational interviews for me. You know, I'm not looking or applying for a specific job. I just want to network with Owen alums or you know friends of the school that are in different finance disciplines and really pick their brains on, if they were in my shoes, kind of how would you go about finding your place in the finance world? And... Um, and understanding their world better. And I remember I've, I, I met with portfolio managers. I met with venture capital folks. I met with private equity folks. I met with private placement folks. I met with a, a whole, you know, commercial bankers, investment bankers, and so forth. Um, and that really afforded me an opportunity to, to wrap my head around what is my next move once I get out of Owen. Once I understand that, then I can start targeting things. And without a doubt, the universal response in those informational interviews was the best place for someone with my education but lack of experience was in commercial banking. To at least go into commercial banking, it will allow you to see a lot of different industries, a lot of different companies, a lot of different transactions and financing needs, and it'll give you a full view of, of, uh, of really all the different opportunities that are out there. And once you do that for a little while, then you can begin to hone in on something a little more specific. And that's exactly what I ended up doing. I was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to go into commercial banking, and you know that really did exactly what a lot of those folks had recommended. And again, I would never have, first of all, thought of that approach or certainly had the support to line up the, the kind of contacts that the school uh, you know, helped me with to, to make that decision and to get me really going on my own. So, Clint, uh, final question. Do you have any advice that you could offer prospective students that are considering an MBA or other finance-related degree? Sure. Well, first, I, I would say that, you know, uh, the MBA coursework here at, at Owen is second to none. And like I said earlier, it really 
was what lit the fire under me and my passion for finance. And so I, I certainly am, you know, obviously very supportive of the school and, and, and of Owen in particular and would encourage anyone who has the opportunity to come to do so. You know, with that said, one of the things that, again, just in my 25 years of, of, of working in, in the industry and in finance in particular, that I would really encourage people to do is, you know, finance and accounting tend to be very analytically oriented, tends to be a lot of focus on, on numbers and um, calculations and, and, and hard facts. And one of the things that I've seen a lot of, of finance-oriented folks miss is some of the softer skills, communication skills, the importance of relationships, personal relationships, things like that that, that I think a lot of, of finance folks tend to devalue in the, with the notion that you know, the more analytically strong I am, then the better finance person I'll be. I would encourage folks to continuously work on their communication skills, to continuously develop personal relationships, and also to understand the context within which the finance work and analysis is being done. A lot of times what I find from my finance, uh, from folks that I work with, is that they can provide data and information, but not context. And so really bringing a, a business level understanding to the finance work and analytics is what really sets someone apart. And so, you know, as folks work through their uh, MBA work and their finance work, uh, always keep in mind maybe some of those softer skills, maybe some of the broader things that feed into that discipline uh, to really try to round them out and help them be more effective. Well, Clint, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me, and thank you for attending a fireside chat and sharing your experiences and lessons with the students here. It was a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. I appreciate the invitation. Thanks to Clint for his time this week, and thank you for listening. You can find more stories and information about Owen by visiting our website, business.vanderbilt.edu, or following at Vanderbilt Owen on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Vanderbilt University or the Vanderbilt Owen Graduate School of Management. Our music is made by Mike Foster. I'm Nate Luce.